0: Hi, I'm Claudia, a content creator, photographer, and changemaker hailing from Hong Kong. Welcome back to my podcast, Up to Some Good, where I interview inspiring entrepreneurs and changemakers who do good for the community and our environment. We'll chat about everything from their eureka moments, their life lessons, and to how they integrate social good and sustainability into their businesses and everyday lives. I'm really excited to have founder of Luna Naturals, Olivia James, with me today. Luna Naturals is a social impact period care company with a mission to make periods better for our bodies, our planets, and our sisters in need. Luna achieves this by offering healthy and eco-friendly period products by educating women about breaking taboos relating to menstrual health and also through various social initiatives. Without further ado, I want to introduce Olivia. Hi Olivia, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, thank you so much for having me, I'm so excited. Um, I know you've had a busy weekend recently because of Women's Day. Yeah, super um, busy. But before we get into that, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your career journey and why you decided to start Luna
1: Naturals. Okay, D- I mean, do you want the, the short version, I take it? Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe, okay. maybe the short version. Okay, cool. So. I I was raised in the UK. Uh, My mum was actually born and raised in Hong Kong. So I guess I always had this this curiosity about Hong Kong, this this unexplainable affinity to, to the place. And when I graduated university, I moved out here. And I basically worked in branding and marketing for the two and a half years that I was living in Hong Kong. And during that time... Aside from work, I, 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 like many women in Hong Kong still to this day, found that tampons, a product that I had been used to using pretty much since I'd started menstruating, were either hard to come by or if they weren't, they were really expensive. I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with that, Claudia.
0: Yes, absolutely. I think yeah. tampons are very expensive.
1: Yeah, because they're an Is imported it- product and, you know, adoption rates, still today are are very low and back then in 2015 without me knowing it at the time but adoption rates for tampons in Asian countries was typically two percent or even lower compared to 80 in the in the UK for example
0: I find that I'm one of the few even in my friend group that actually uses tampons because girls are still very they find it uncomfortable to put insert things in their bodies Yeah,
1: definitely. And again, I I didn't really know any of this. All I was faced with was um, the the role that I had to play of being a tampon mule. So, you know, you either bring a six-month stash back in your suitcase every time you go home. Um, If you're making a trip somewhere, you bring them back for friends who are running low. And I guess um, I never thought anything about this until... I was at the check-in desk of Heathrow Airport in 2015 and um I was over the weight limit for my luggage as I typically am oh, I was no. running really late I was sweaty I suddenly like threw open my suitcase at the check-in desk you know what am I going to have to wear on the flight am I going to have to wear like my trainers as gloves um, and then I looked in in the suitcase and obviously there was my huge stash of tampons now to clarify that wasn't the reason the luggage was over the weight limit <laughs> um, but I did have to unpack box upon box of these tampons and In doing so, I guess for the first time, I I thought two things. I firstly thought to myself, this is bizarre. I mean, in Hong Kong, you can get almost anything that you want at the drop of a hat. Why can't I get hold of basic feminine care products? And if I resent the price that they come at in Hong Kong, what do women who perhaps earn less money than me think exactly. about this price and and secondly I just thought why am I so mortified that this queue of human beings has seen that I menstruate and it bothered me a lot I, I thought about it for the whole flight back to Hong Kong and and I, I thought about it more once I landed and I guess at first considering I was working in branding my, my first idea was okay why don't I reach out to an existing tampon brand I can help them grow their presence on the ground here, mm. hopefully increase adoption to this product and thus lower the price. That was kind of my first thought. And, and, and just to go back, the reason I was so passionate about this wasn't just because I wanted to make tampons cheaper for myself. I, when I was starting my period between the ages of, I guess, 13 and 15, I used sanitary pads. And I look back now and I do think knowing what I know today, I think I had a hormone imbalance. You shouldn't, as right. I was, be bleeding through sanitary pads within two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I had cystic acne at the time. Um, nobody nobody told me that a hormone imbalance was even a thing. Um, but basically what happened was I just began hating my body. And I hated... Mm-hmm. Um, by extension, the fact that I was a woman. I basically thought my life as I knew it was over. Every month for five to seven days, Mm -hmm. every month, I would miss sports. I would not be able to swim. I would have embarrassing leaking situations. Um, And so knowing that and knowing how when I discovered tampons, my life changed. I really wanted to see if there were women in Asia, in Hong Kong, who felt the same and helped them um, overcome any cultural mm-hmm. barriers to the adoption of products that might change their life.
0: Right, right. So at that time, when you first had that situation, did you ever approach a doctor and did you realize that
1: wh- what the actual issue was? I Yeah, I went to the doctor, and as is typically the case, sadly, even today in Western cultures, um, nobody asked me any questions. They just put me on the contraceptive pill. Right. Sure, my skin cleared up a little bit and my periods became lighter, mm-hmm. but I very much have an issue with that method. I think you need to get to the root of the problem, and I think that approach makes such a Depressing comment on the approach to female health even mm-hmm, today, mm-hmm. Um, and you know I say this to my to my friends here in Asia, and and they're really shocked because you know being prescribed the contraceptive pill is is not something that's very common here. And no, not at all. So yeah, I think that's another good example of the way that um, Western culture gets it very very wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think so. So basically, what what that realization. Um, at Heathrow Airport led to was this idea that I could support existing feminine care companies. But but very quickly, I realized, oh my God, all the feminine care brands suck. I, I thought of myself going out there and yeah. I even started to do some of my tampon workshops with local women. Mm-hmm. And it, I was just like, this is really bizarre. You know, I'm in branding. I spend my life creating interesting narratives to connect brands to their target audience and no feminine care company has done that for me or the women in my life there so is no don't feel connected to any of the brands or you don't resonate with
0: them right i mean do you know what i mean when i say that yeah i do i do there's no one specific brand which i, I i'm drawn to or i'm loyal to i just use it because of the price or because yeah. of the quality but yeah. In terms
1: of branding or imagery, yeah. there's nothing that I can associate with really. Definitely. And you can you can take that on an aesthetic level, which I'm sorry, that is important. Also, yeah. Um I looked at the packaging and I just thought this hasn't been updated since mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. 80s it looks like.
0: I wonder if it's just because they assume that all women need it anyway, it's a necessary daily product or a monthly product, which is why they don't put much effort into branding.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's that, and then um, I guess that it links to some of the things I uncovered about the industry, which I'll get to in a in a little bit. Mm. But um, I, I think what, what also struck me wasn't just, okay, the design, but the advertising. Yes. It is, okay, for want of a better word, like lame at best, or shameful in some cases. Like, genuinely, I looked at it and I was like, these are tools there must have been a boardroom of people that conspired that shame was going to be the tool that they would use to sell this product to me and um yeah going back to what you just said i then later found out through my research that kel surprise a lot of these adverts and brands have been created by boardrooms full predominantly of male decision makers My CMO, for example, currently, Rachel, she's fantastic. Mm -hmm. She worked for one of the biggest feminine care companies in the world today. And she tells us a story of a board meeting um, where it was decided that um, to sell this odor neutralizing pad, which, by the way, women don't need to sell this odor neutralizing innovation, they the the people in that room were pushing for a close up of a woman's ass with CGI flies around it, you know. With CGI flies. So um, so basically like superimposed like flies mm-hmm. flying around her bum oh to make it goodness. seem like she smelt. Th- that is absolutely unacceptable. Right, and and so I guess, uh, and and also I I looked into their kind of social impact. Uh huh. And this is something that really irks me to this day, because um, you can see with most of these companies that, sure, occasionally they'll do a buy one, give one on pads. They will um, donate sanitary pads to low-income communities around the world. But I did uncover just how short those initiatives fall in making any true impact. And ultimately, it's not part of their business model as it should be. It's actually just a marketing campaign which doesn't actually solve period poverty because yeah. it's a disposable product uh-huh, uh-huh. that once you then kind of leave that community, they're left with nothing. And so I just I guess I became more and more infuriated. Yeah.
0: And so the Heathrow Airport was your Eureka moment. Yeah. Which swirled to to all of that research. Yeah. Um and then and then
1: what was next? Well, I, I guess maybe Heathrow wasn't the Eureka moment because I think um so through these these workshops then I I was already a little bit like okay I want to teach women to use um tampons I can't really advocate for these brands Mm. but I don't have another option Mm. so I was like okay well why don't I just you know make these tampons and I'll create like a, a more engaging brand and then The eureka moment, I think, was at one of these early workshops when um, a local woman, um, quite understandably, said to me, "Okay, you know, I'm on board with tampons now, sanitary pads, I hate them. But can I just ask you, um, what are your tampons made of? And no one had ever asked me this before, and I couldn't answer her. And she was horrified. She just said, what do you mean you just told me you put them inside your body every single month and have done for the last almost 10 years how do you not know what it's made of and at the time i i actually posed the question back to her and i said well do you know what your sanitary pads are made of and she she gave me this look that i'm i'm well versed in now i see it with tampon users pad users um this kind of hopeful grimace almost and then they're like is it cotton so we all think it's cotton and I guess I went away and I did my research just so I could answer that question and I was actually appalled by what I found out I found out that aside from the plastic applicator tampons which everybody talks about the applicators being bad for the environment the tampon cores themselves even of non-applicator tampons are predominantly made of well firstly conventional cotton so Conventional cotton, compared to organic cotton, is grown with literally carcinogenic pesticides and fertilizers. So chemicals that cause cancer in the farmers that are exposed to them. And conventional cotton is called, on the market, the dirtiest crop in the world. And I immediately started thinking, well, I probably wouldn't put materials that are made with carcinogenics in the most absorbent Mm -hmm. part of my body. Mm -hmm. Probably not. Um, But that wasn't it. Probably not. No, (laughs) probably not. Um, That wasn't it. I I found out that um, actually most of them are combined with viscose and rayon and polyester. And okay, I wasn't even thinking of the environmental impacts back then. But just to let you know, those materials take up to 200 years to degrade. So literally, the first modern-day sanitary pad that was made in the 1920s that combined these materials, these absorbent materials that so many women have come to use today, is still, so still degrading cyst. today. But environmental issues aside, let's park that and come back to that later. Um, I just knew I didn't want to be putting this in my body anymore. And I think the eureka moment for me was when I switched to an organic cotton tampon And the yeast infections and the discomfort that I had got so many months throughout my life since I'd started using those products stopped. Right. So I'd literally been allergic to this product. And like so many women I've met since, we blame our bodies rather than ever considering that the poor quality materials in our period products are to blame.
0: So you you mentioned that you had a lot of yeast infections and allergies as well. Were they... Uh, on the surface, or how did you how did you realize or start to think that it might be because of the tampons instead of any other anything else you were doing like food or any other creams that you were applying?
1: I didn't. I didn't. I honestly didn't think it was the products until I just stopped stopped using them because I was a bit grossed out. Mm-hmm. Um, I I didn't expect them to stop when I stopped using the products. I genuinely that's how much I convinced myself that my body was broken. I you know, eight years of suffering yeast infections, trying diet, trying different like underwear, all of this stuff, you do it's it's mad to me looking back that I didn't say, Well, why don't I stop using these tampons? Um, but that is how deep menstrual taboos run. And honestly, I've spoken to gynecologists about this, especially in Asia when going to the gynecologist is really seen as embarrassing. Many Gynecologists have told me that women will come to them after literally years of suffering. They finally pluck up the confidence to come in and talk about it. And by the way, I'm sure many women don't. Um, and and the doctor simply says, well, okay, a first step. Let's try changing your period care. Why don't you try an organic cotton yeah. option? Um, and w- a lot of women see that that ceases these these irritations. And Wow, that's just so sad that
0: the solution is so simple, yet people, because of the taboo, people
1: just won't find the
0: solution until they speak to someone.
1: Yeah. And it's and it's on so many levels. I mean, okay, look at look at the policy. Look at the governmental regulations around these products. You are not obligated as a feminine care company to put your ingredients on the box. So literally governmental policy has valued those brands like industry secrets over our right to transparency around our own bodies. So if even governmental regulations are deeming, are kind of undervaluing our menstrual health to that extent, yes. what, what chance do we ever have of, of being inspired to learn more about these products mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and place a higher value on our menstruation?
0: And by governmental regulations, you're uh, specifically mentioning talking about Hong Kong or is this global. most of Asia? Yeah,
1: global. In the U.S., I think New York was last year the first U.S. state to demand that feminine care companies put their ingredients on the box. Mm-hmm. And this is super important. I mean, I guess even when I over Chinese New Year, I went back to the U.K. and I was just in a in one of the major retailers um, and we were in the personal care aisle and my mom just picked up a box of tampons. She no longer needs them because she's gone through the menopause. And she was like, "God, I have, you know, I haven't used these in ages." And I said, "Well, what do you think they're made of, Mum?" And she said, "Oh, I know. I know the plastic applicator's bad, and I used that for many years, but inside, obviously, cotton." And we scoured the box for the information, and it's not there. And I googled it and had to show her and can you imagine, like, a woman that no longer even menstruates? She put this in her body for 30 years, and to see that it is made mm-hmm. of viscose and polyester is heartbreaking, and you horrendous. feel betrayed, yeah. and she felt betrayed, and I've seen this in, in so many women. Oh, my goodness.
0: It's, it's crazy that it's not a legal requirement for, for products to put, to, yeah. to list, I mean, for companies to list this out, mm-hmm. because this is, what what difference is this with creams and foods that you also apply and put into your
1: body? Yeah it's It's frustrating because our vaginas are as absorbent as our mouths mm-hmm. and they are continued like vaginas still today exist on such a toxic binary they're either treated so clinically and medically or on the other hand they're just like shrouded in in shame and misconception and and we are missing uh, Society doesn't value them as, like, one, uh, the the place where life is created. And, And two, it doesn't value the fact that what you expose your vagina to affects your overall health and well-being. Like, you have to be cautious about what you put inside your vagina or near it in the case of sanitary pads. And more and more research is coming out to link those synthetic materials to health issues like endometriosis. Yes, um, like PCOS. And you can understand how that's the case because mm-hmm, you're putting toxics mm-hmm. inside yeah. you every month. Absolutely. So going back
0: to your to your journey yeah. with Luna Naturals, yeah. um, after all this research and uncovering mm. all these truths and, and also the tampon workshops that yeah. you did with women in Hong Kong, how did you go about starting your own company, Luna? Yes,
1: yeah. Yeah, so I guess. Um, after i had that eureka moment as it were when i realized that the products i'd been using had been giving me infections i that's when i realized it, this educational mission that i'd been on had to become a company mm-hmm. so it was only then that i realized okay now i have to ma- now i have to make this into a business because i can't get these products i need to make the products that yes. i need and, and i you just d- can't tr- treat it as a side project either because there's so much to do so much to do and I mean I actually don't know how I did it because I did not know what I was doing and and people ask me that a lot and I think for me because I carried on the education side of things so much almost every day I would have a tampon workshop or I would use like the language app i was using to learn chinese to like connect with women across the region wow. and so i was like coaching women in yes. um random places in the region to use tampons and can you speak fluent mandarin now it's certainly not fluent no um i need to do a lot of work on that still That's incredible um okay i'm 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 trying to embark on on learning Cantonese at the moment as well, which we'll see how that goes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> okay, so you were doing these workshops in not in Cantonese or Chinese, though. No, no. Okay. I did have a friend who was Chinese, who is Chinese, sorry, and she was helping me at the time because that was really important. And I think, actually, that, that dynamic of having, I guess, me, a Western woman who's used these products for many years, and then my friend who is Chinese who also uses these products... Mm that was recognized even by the women coming to these workshops as a really important dynamic.
0: Yeah, I see why. It's something so intimate and so yeah. so close to what you do every day that yeah. you, if you, if it's in your own first language, yeah. it will they'll feel more comfortable.
1: More comfortable and and genuinely I think there's obviously a lot of um there's a lot of belief that Asian women's bodies are different to western right. women's bodies. Right. And so to have both of us there, I think to this day if it's just me sort of attesting to the fact that mens- menstrual cups or tampons changed my life it's it's oftentimes not enough mm. and that's why for luna our entire our entire team is based around having incredible local teams mm-hmm. in each of our markets mm-hmm right
0: and during the product research process did you is that what you found that asian women's bodies were different from
1: western body western women's bodies i i just don't buy it i really don't i think there's a lot of taboos and misconceptions Mm -hmm. around um you know certain things that we've unpicked i often came up against the belief that western women's bodies were better equipped to deal with menstrual pain for example right and uh, again, I just thought I don't, I don't see how this can be the case, and it became apparent that this belief is based in the fact that in Asia typically women are more comfortable to say I've got period pains, I'm gonna go home, or mm. I've got period pains. Right. Whereas in the UK you would typically grit your teeth and bear it rather than ever say yeah. to your boss or somebody in your office I have cramps. Mm-hmm. That's it's interesting. It's too shameful. So and you I think mean in
0: the UK it's even more of a taboo then.
1: Yeah, yeah, and look, I'm I say all the time, the the taboos between Asia and Western countries like the UK they are equally strong. They are nuanced in different ways. Obviously, we don't have um cultural misconceptions that stop us using tampons, like the belief a tampon will take your virginity, which is something that's very prevalent in Asia. How, is it totally? Oh, it? totally
0: yeah oh wow I, I never thought about that when I first started using tampons did you
1: not that's interesting it's it's probably one of the most common questions that we get asked during your education yeah. workshops yeah convergence use these products mm-hmm. um, and I've got plenty of um, local friends Who's, one or two of whom have um, actually medical doctors as mothers who had to hide their tampons from them because uh, their mothers would think that meant they were being sexually active because of this close association with virginity and oh. tampons and sex and tampons um, kind of just like lumping well, everything vagina-related yeah. together, um, which is unfair, uh-huh. but very much um, related to uh, the culture Um, but talking about the taboos being equal, I think, okay, you have that on one hand. But on the other hand, in the UK, our taboos around menstruation have meant that for 30 to 40 years, women have been putting tampons in their bodies and not knowing what they're made of. And for me, that is equal, equally, or if not more toxic than these like virginity myths. Mm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I think I haven't I've not heard of myth as virginity myth as, yeah. as as intense as that. Yeah. But but I do know that a yeah. lot of my friends even nowadays yeah. are still very against the idea of using tampons. Yeah. Yeah. Um so moving on to the your your product research process, mm. I'm a little I'm quite interested in how um Luna distinguishes your products from other period care products because i do know that there are other or natural period products available um because more women like you are realizing how toxic it is to put to put uh uh, synthetic products in your body Um, and i'm just wondering how you distinguish luna from those other brands
1: i think for us i mean we are the first social impact period care company in asia Mm -hmm. doing the full range for example so like you said, there are amazing other companies around the world. I think we are, our focus here in Asia really does distinguish us. And I think it's really important that we have that because it means that the education that me and the team have been doing for the last five years is really curated and can really pinpoint those specific taboos that exist here. When it comes to the products, for example, the menstrual cups, The menstrual cup that we developed, it was really, really important to me that that was softer than other menstrual cups, Mm -hmm. if not now known to be one of the softest on the market. Now I caveat that this all the time by saying some women do respond for whatever reason to a a more dense, harder cup. Right. So finding the right cup is obviously important for you, but for me having the softness was so important Uh to make it the best user experience for new users Mm -hmm. because you want that softness um it makes it more malleable to be able to use and i think um and, and genuinely although i don't buy into those um perceptions of asian women's bodies at least in the in the vagina area being different to western women's bodies you see with our asian consumers that they pick up our softer cup and it feels smaller and easier to use. And that belief that they are, I guess, smaller than Western women, that really does kind of lend them to feeling comfortable trying our cup.
0: Oh, right, right, right. And was this whole uh, development process quite difficult?
1: Yeah, I guess product development was alongside (laughs) alongside fundraising, um, possibly the most exhausting part at least in the early stages, because I don't know. I it, it, There's a lot of work that goes into product development, obviously, yeah. and also the fact that we are so committed to having an ethical supply chain. Mm. So you can't just kind of, you know, yeah. throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. A lot of research goes into that. I think what I am lucky in is that our R&D team are second to none. And I for me finding people that you trust so much who align so deeply with your vision and I guess your moral compass was so important because Mm -hmm. I hadn't done this before. I'm not saying that more experienced people shirk those elements, but for me, I had to go top, top level. So if you look at even our new uh, product developer, um, they... (laughs) They basically didn't work with startups like they're enormously reputable they're a huge global company and they i had to i had to pitch them Mm -hmm. i had to pitch like their whole management team i had to pitch like the pitch had to go to their swedish investment board in europe um before they took us on and i think you know obviously people were pitching to me from other producers and people wanted us as clients and the easy option would have been to go like okay like this will be the easy route but for me it was just I I need to know that we are going top quality at every turn
0: yeah I respect that and that's so important mm. so did you have your own, uh, your own team or was it mainly just you pitching to all of these different investors and fundraisers I mean, and, and fundraising
1: um okay so back then i had a small team so i had a, I, I was given a little bit of money by one of our current mm-hmm. investors basically a bridge loan to get things going so i had i had some support but when it comes to fundraising that was that was something i was doing all on my own and I'd never done it before, and we have had no family and friends investment. Mm. So, this all the investment we've ever had is from outside investors. And that's why, you know, I think hearing people who've been able to at least get some kind of seed round from family and friends, that I, I was always really envious of that because I think once you've got a bit of cash and you can prove your concept, to build on it, then it's easy. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but you know, I say we didn't have family and friends investment and that's true, but I always need to make it clear just how much like the support, support I had. So, we didn't get investment from family and friends, but I certainly, when things were really rough, um my flatmate Paul at the time paid my rent that month. Right. You know? Right. And I remember my friend yeah. Will paid my phone bill. Yeah, and
0: that's still another form of investment. It totally A- is. And the
1: support to an extent is even more important yes. to keep you going. It is, it is. And I think alongside obviously the work that we do with Luna to, to shift the status quo around menstruation, one thing I'm really passionate about is is helping fellow female founders especially with the investment stuff because i went through absolute hell actually with my first round based on based on uncovering the the deep rooted misogyny that still exists in in the investment world and i fell into a lot of pitfalls that i think if i had had somebody that had done it before mm-hmm. guiding me i would have been able to avoid so i'm keen to make that part of my mm-hmm. part of my role as a founder moving forward
0: yeah and would you say, say, because you wanted Luna to have a social impact yeah. business model, it made it, things more difficult for you as
1: well? It's interesting you say that because I spend so much time in the social impact community now that the fact I didn't go and pitch to social impact investors oh. really shocks me, but I didn't know social impact right. investing was a thing. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I didn't even, I didn't even really know the phrase social impact. I just knew I wanted a business that made better period products, yeah. that was driven by education, and that used our success to help more women who couldn't afford these products get them. So that's obviously a really okay, a long long way to describe to social, impact. social impact. But it's important to then, when you uncover the fact that this is a concept and there are support networks um, but of people that are good at this stuff, they've already done it, and I didn't know that back then. So... I definitely think I could have been more strategic. Who knows? Mm. Maybe it would have worked. Maybe it wouldn't. But certainly, I would have done things a lot more yeah. differently had I known about this this concept.
0: But but it's certainly really good to know that in Hong Kong and around the world that there are so many more social impact, uh, sort of communities and and also investors, out there today to help people like you. Yeah. Um. To support your mission.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it's so important I won't go into it in detail but the investors that I actually turned down last minute because I just suddenly knew that they weren't the right fit it, it actually makes me go cold thinking about had I moved forward with them because I, I don't even think Luna would be around today and they certainly wouldn't have supported sometimes the very tough decisions mm-hmm. that we have to make in order to stay true to our social impact goals like we have twice had to make big calls that actually have led to our short-term revenue suffering but they're important in order to us to stay true to that model so you've got to have people that align with that 100 yeah. percent. yeah
0: yeah yeah i see what you mean um and so okay so after you have overcome the difficult process of of finding some funding mm. and i'm um, develop- developing the product you started luna and I actually am
1: really curious about why you called it Lunar Naturals. Ah, okay. So Lunar Naturals. Luna is because we believe in what is quite um, a typically Eastern approach to um, the link between the moon cycle and menstruation. Mm-hmm. So this can crop up in traditional Chinese medicine, for example. And I think it's a really beautiful way to frame menstruation. And I actually always have done. And so that's on one part. But secondly, and actually our logo used to reflect this more, it used to be um, a transition of three moons throughout the month. And so at Luna, we, we do a lot of education, but not just about the products, but about the hormonal, hormonal health right. and how to harness your menstrual cycle. Mm-hmm. And l- most people, in fact, are, even after five years, not one single person has been able to tell me how many stages of the menstrual cycle there are and what they're called.
0: Right. I don't think I will be able to tell you either. No, and I couldn't before I started yeah. this
1: either. And it's, it's bizarre, isn't it? Because like, we're, we're in one of those stages right uh-huh, now.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And when only, I think, true gender equality can only come when society actually gives us the education about our menstrual cycles. So we know the complex changes that go on throughout the month. Yeah. And so Luna is actually, it's derived from the notion that like the moon, women we will shift and we will change shape throughout the month Mm -hmm. we have to that our hormonal cycles are so complex yeah but in doing so we can always remain true to ourselves right wow i love that yeah and i think it's it's an important lesson because i think me growing up my i thought the menstrual cycle was um bleeding shitty olivia not bleeding inverted commas, normal Olivia. Yeah. Whereas you're actually always going through part of that cycle and you it's always are. part of you. You are. And y- if you frame it in a different way, those those elements don't have to be negative. And I think we all tend to look at periods as like, oh my God, I'm bleeding. This is so annoying. Um, I, I feel like shit. Firstly, you shouldn't feel like shit. And that's the myth that we're told is that negative period symptoms are normal and they're not and there are ways that you can harness that if you learn to tap into this um right. and and i think you know secondly we see it as a frustrating limiting time and actually if you just a, a cognitive shift will allow us to see that actually menstruation can just be a time every month to reflect mm-hmm. and that is really powerful
0: yeah yeah so going back to uh, what you just mentioned about how some women think that they always feel like shit when yeah. they have their periods I, I do think that a lot of my friends yeah. think that it's genetics. It's a yeah. genetics issue that sometimes they might have uh, worse cramps than other yeah. people. Yeah. Um, but do you think it could actually also really be
1: genetics instead of just the products they use? Or is it a combination of both? Obviously, I'm not a doctor. And mm. what I'm about to say is based on my own research, also the advice from doctors within our network and on our advisory board, whose opinion we trust a lot. It depends how bad you feel. So I am not saying I am going to do um, a high intensity workout class during my period. And I do get, I wouldn't call them cramps, but I get this feeling in my stomach that makes me feel a bit weak. So I think that typically women because of what our hormones are doing during the menstrual phase of our cycle we do have less energy and what's important is we realize why and we recognize that that's normal so then we can tailor our workouts we can if possible tailor um what we're going to be doing at work that day or you know know that it's okay to cancel your social plans on the weekend because you're not feeling your best instead of really beating ourselves up. And I see this a lot with fellow female founders. Um, We did an event about this about a year ago and the amount of women that said they they really resent their period because it means that they can't like, they struggle with doing like heavy lifting at an event, for example, Mm -hmm. and they feel Mm -hmm. useless. When actually when they started to think about this more, they realized that that's a perfect time of the month to maybe delegate those tasks to somebody else if possible yeah. and sit down and be creative and reflect and strategize. Yeah. And this is what we talk about in our workshops. It's just society has told us to push through mm. and to overcome mm-hmm. and that's not really the way it should be. Right, sometimes you should just embrace
0: that. Maybe you're in a little more pain and a little more, yeah. feeling a little shittier during that, yeah. that period and you
1: just yeah. do something else to make yourself feel better. Totally, and, but I think also, we have to recognise, like, if our symptoms are that bad, there are things we can do to change mm-hmm. it. OK, I met a woman the other day. This is something that I've read about. I haven't heard anyone say it in such um, straightforward terms, but she said, I've, I've quit coffee for the last two months and my cramps are gone. Um, and, yeah. and I think exercise and diet is so important. I've read books by women who have, who have managed chronic symptoms of PCOS and endometriosis Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when the doctor's been telling them that they need surgical procedures they've said no I'm going to look at my lifestyle and that has helped them overcome it so that's where I say if you are and I look back at girls even at school I had a friend who was riddled with pain on the on the bathroom floor during her period and we were all just like oh Emily unlucky her Mm. if you're in that much pain and lifestyle changes can't solve Mm -hmm, it, mm -hmm. you have an underlying health issue. And this is why in today's society, one in 10 women, so hundreds and thousands of women have endometriosis, Mm -hmm. and still it's 10 years to diagnose it. Because women, and I've met them, I've met so many of them for years, have gone to doctors, even doctors, and said, I can't get out of bed during my period, I'm in so much pain. And their doctors have given them Mm -hmm, painkillers.
0: So so for some of the listeners who might not be as familiar with endometriosis or PCOS, can you just quickly explain what those two things are or the symptoms?
1: So um, endometriosis is, um, as I said, it's quite a common issue that one in 10 women have. About one in 10, actually apparently more, potentially Mm. in Asia due to the dioxins in the air. Um, and this is when um, you have problems with your endometrium lining. Okay. So it can grow inwards is one of the issues. Um, I, I hope I'm saying this Ouch. correctly. <laughs> yeah. I hope no doctors will write in to say that I'm misguided here. And then polycystic ovarian syndrome, which I think, and don't quote me on this, I think it's one in four women in the UK have it. Right. Maybe one in three. Um, and that's when you get cysts mm, on your ovaries. Yeah. So, okay, again, pretty okay. common. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got... I can think of three close friends who have it. And um, it it can be really debilitating. But if you get the right advice, the right treatment, um, you can manage those mm-hmm. symptoms. And something like endometriosis, by the time you get diagnosed, if it takes that long period of time, a lot of women become infertile. When wow. actually, if you catch that sooner, not only does it save you years of pain... Mm-hmm it can mean that you, you, you don't have that suffer chance. infertility. Right, right. And so it's really, is this, this is why I say, you know, menstrual mm. taboos, ignore the products, mm. ignore the, the irritations. Mm. Menstrual taboos literally mean women are, w- like women are suffering mm-hmm. chronic health issues and becoming infertile in many yeah. cases because doctors miss these symptoms.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow, that's so scary, but also so good to know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because I do, a lot of women around me are still always in pain during their yeah. periods. And yeah. they, they sometimes, most of the time, they just went on genetics, which I, like, after hearing you talk about this, I don't necessarily think is true.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, maybe it is genetics, but mm. maybe that means, like, their mums should have tried swimming during their periods mm. or cutting out coffee mm-hmm. or eating different things at different times oh of the month. And if they then did the same, their, yeah, their pain yeah. would be lessened.
0: Right, right, right. Got it. Um. So going back to Luna, we talked a bit about your mission, which is, first of all, to, to help women buy, uh, buy the products and then also through educating them and also uh, through social impact. And I want to talk a little bit more about the social impact pillar sure. and what you guys are doing.
1: Yes, this is um, one of my favorite things to talk mm-hmm. about. So for us, built into our business model, and, and, and I say that because it kind of harks back to what I was saying earlier about typical feminine care companies that employ this kind of social impact mm. on a very sort of seasonal marketing basis. Within our business model, we say that for every period cup that is purchased, we donate a period cup to low income communities across Asia. Moreover, for every subscriber to our organic cotton subscription service, we also donate a period cup. So the reason we started what is called the Lunar Period Collective, which is a collective of social initiatives across the region, is because you can't just donate the cup. You can't just go into a community and give give the cup. cup. It's essential for us that we provide not only the, the guidance necessary for women to safely use that cup, but also the guidance for them to actually adopt that product. Like, we're not looking at this donation thing as like, oh, we managed to do a thousand cups to women this year. Like, what I'm excited about about the year ahead is that we will start to be able to gather data um, about how many women are actually implementing Mm. that into into their lives. And when you look at the effect a period cup can have on a woman or girl from a low-income community, it gives her a product for the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. So for those women and girls, it really can help lift them out of period poverty and the consequence of, consequences of that are so far reaching. I've seen it so much that when a woman or girl is no longer restricted by their menstruation, which I was when I was 13, mm-hmm. When you give them a product that takes them out of that... And empowers them. It empowers them, and it just makes them feel much better about the notion of womanhood. And, you know, and and we can go into so much detail about this. I I won't, but when you take women out of period poverty, you also allow them to make greater contributions to their society, Mm -hmm. which there are reports which which show the impact that can also have on climate change. So it's... Menstrual taboos, as we say at Luna, is linked to female advancing uh gender equality, promoting female health, but also taking action against climate change. Yeah,
0: yeah, I can see that. And yeah, and the whole I mean, just using period cups in general is already a lot better for the environment. Yeah, There is a direct correlation there too, I think.
1: Totally. Like, you know, in the UK alone, 200,000 tonnes uh-huh. of plastic period waste reach landfills yeah. every year. And as we discussed earlier, those materials take between 20 and 200 years to degrade. So it's a huge issue. Mm. But internally at Luna, the environment is at the forefront alongside female health and gender equality. Those are our three central pillars and they are all equally important but in terms of outside communication, the environment for us is sort of like a cherry on the cake mm-hmm. because I know that environmental benefits is not the way to convert women on a wide scale to using things like the menstrual cup.
0: Because it's
1: not personal enough. It's not I personal, guess. and and you, you know for me there are so many advantages before the environment. Yeah. Um, that come from using the menstrual cup, health being one of them, okay, keeping those toxic chemicals out of your vagina. Um, But also, and people look at me in horror when I say this and they don't believe me, but convenience. Like, again, it's this cognitive shift. A woman that learns how to use the menstrual cup properly I can never imagine again the inconvenience of ripping off a sanitary pad, Mm. balling it up, finding a place to dispose of it, carrying them around all the time. It's so inconvenient, Um, but there's a lot of work that goes before that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And also just bringing you closer to your body. Obviously when I discovered organic cotton tampons, and I still use ours today sometimes, I loved them. They come with no irritations. Um, Ours are fully biodegradable in four to six months. Um, So I was fine with that for a long time um and i thought i couldn't get more empowered about my period and actually through using the cup and and actually seeing that blood which by the way can tell you so much about your physical and mental health i feel like i'm doing the most empowered thing i can do and i and i and i have heard this from women within our community as well they also feel like they are helping push forwards um this fight against outdated taboos every time they use it and that's just a really cool yeah. feeling to have and yeah. that's that's how we package our education mm-hmm. like this is a way that as a sisterhood every time we menstruate we can feel mm. good and united yeah
0: i love that you're reframing in such a such a positive way yeah. and it's it's about empowerment and and about female confidence and coming together instead of Instead of what people saw before, it's it's just like a burden. Totally, totally. Um, So I know that during the last weekend it was Women's Day and you guys did quite a few workshops uh, and and promotional Mm. uh, campaigns for for Luna. Can you tell me a bit more about
1: that? Yeah, so Women's Day, obviously, and and it's actually more like a, I guess like a month-long campaign for Mm. us in that we've decided to donate two cups. For every cup sold this month um and we really ramped up our amount of workshops it's it's a lot of work for the team and i think the reason what we're doing this month isn't sustainable is it's just because it is so much work mm. for the team we have at the moment um but we felt that women's month was a great time for us to really push so forward attention to this
0: yeah yes.
1: and celebrate I mean we're doing it all year long um and actually we've got something um planned for later in the year which will be a kind of period the equivalent in terms of like eco periods we want to really have like right. a day a month work? long celebration of this and really and really make that a staple uh-huh. for the yearly calendar in Asia um because I think it's amazing that we have a women's day and I really want to see on that calendar uh, a day that that celebrate specifically periods because and and look I think people listening to this podcast probably won't agree with the the statement I'm about to make but I do hear people say all the time like don't you think you're going a bit far like do you do you, do we really need a day Do we really need to talk so much? Do you need to have signs that say, I love my vagina on them? And and the answer is we absolutely do. Mm -hmm. And our brand strategy, I mean, we know that there's a lot of people, particularly in conservative Asian societies that we alienate immediately with those, that kind of signage and that boldness. But there's a lot of people that we've seen in these communities um, here in Hong Kong, in Singapore, in mainland China, who have just been waiting Mm -hmm. for this boldness and this unapologetic approach to our bodies. And we Precisely. know that when they feel safe with us, they can then convert mm-hmm. those friends, perhaps on the peripheries, who don't immediately feel comfortable with this. And so we really do see it as our job to be that leader, to be that bold voice. It won't be for everyone, but yeah, we yeah we need a day. We need a month and we need those, I yeah, love my absolutely. vagina signs. <laughs> and isn't it
0: interesting how before things are done, people are always opposed to it and against it. But afterwards, like after a few years, maybe, the the period day or menstrual day will yeah. become like a norm and it will just be people will think why why has it never been adopted earlier it's yeah. always like this when you're trying to, to try something novel and
1: different right definitely and you just you just don't have the reach with this stuff if you aren't that bold i mm. told the story the other day because look it's my job to be really bold. I don't expect even my team to be as bold as I am sometimes. But I was telling this story about when I was in a cafe working and I was working on my menstrual cup presentation and I had tampons and pads on the table. And to be honest, I, I like doing that stuff. I do it on purpose because I yeah. want people to look. Yeah. I really want people to see that somebody is being that bold. Um, and a guy came over and he asked me what I was doing and I it, he'd never heard of the menstrual cut before and I explained how it worked to him and, and he just grimaced as, as is often the case and he said oh that's a bit gross and, and we just had a conversation and I just asked him why is it gross and, and genuinely by the end of it he just had to admit I don't know I've just always been told that it's gross and you know I'm, I'm confident that that guy w- walked away from that encounter um, through me having this huge menstrual cup gif on my laptop screen and tampons all over the table. He walked away from that, having a different approach to menstruation. And, and my, my goal is for him to then, you know, share that experience with other people that he's encountered. I've seen it in stores here in Hong Kong. I've asked really loudly, where are your tampons? Mm. And I get weird looks. And twice, um, somebody has come over to me and, and literally said, God, can I just say, I I actually felt really uncomfortable that you asked so loudly about the tampons and wow, then I stood really? there and I was thinking why am I uncomfortable about this and then I realized it was insane that I was uncomfortable about this cuz I'm and yeah so it's it's important for those members of society who like myself are privil- privileged enough to be that bold that we are that mm. bold mm-hmm. and and about uh your
0: educational workshops mm. I was just wondering whether there are a lot of you see any
1: men there often or do do and it doesn't all happen that often. We try and get more men there so much and actually a big focus for me and the team over the next couple of months is giving more of a, I guess, a a platform to our male allies. You'll see in our content coming up that you'll see. I love that. Yeah, and we've got some amazing ones and there's, there's oftentimes a few guys at these events and it depends which workshop they come to. Like we have a lot of workshops that would be I think, very specific to people that menstruate. And so I think there are specific events that we are going to be doing more of, which talk more about sustainability. Mm -hmm. Because the way we will get men involved in this conversation is by, well, by saying what I always say, which is this is not a women's problem, but the sustainability conversation really drives home the fact that, by the way, by you being awkward about periods... That means the women around you will never feel comfortable to try the menstrual cup, which means they will still, in their lifetime, contribute to eleven thousand plastic period yeah, products yeah. going to the landfill, and that's bad news for us all. Yeah. So you
0: need an angle that they can sort of relate to instead of it just being about women, because they'll yeah, think, yeah, well, yeah. I I don't suffer these yeah. issues
1: anyway. And our barriers aren't just men, you know, like yeah. we because we do so much work in corporates. So our corporate initiative where we say. You need to have eco-friendly period care in your bathrooms. Uh, uh. And as part of that, we'll come in and we will give an education to your staff. We think this is important content to help them Mm -hmm. um, be happy and healthy. Mm. And honestly, I have had the green light from like male decision makers so many times. And actually, when it gets down to a predominantly female HR it's there that it gets stuck because the women are too awkward mm. to get this over the line, isn't that so ironic? it's interesting wow. it was it was one thing. Mm. I wrote a piece about it a few months ago and i i I tried to do some kind of statistics about it and i I genuinely think most of our most of our yeses in the corporate world have been from men right right men who go what do you what do you mean like do we not have period care in our yeah. bathrooms? Yeah. And I tell them anecdotes from within other corporate offices of women kind of shuffling around yeah. with toilet paper between their legs because they've not got any pads mm-hmm. or tampons. And they're like, oh, that sounds awful. Please let me put you in touch with HR. Yeah. We'll do it immediately. And yeah, you're right. It's it's funny then that it, it gets right. stuck.
0: Okay, Olivia, I think we can talk forever about, about Luna <laughs> and about everything sure. because I always have so many more questions. But... um. to to round up i have two questions which i always ask my up to some good uh, podcast guests and the first is uh what is your guilty pleasure
1: my guilty pleasure wow um
0: or when you're feeling up to no good up to no good (laughs) wow i need to think about that um well food is always food is always something that people mention or indulging in some sort of a luxury, like shopping.
1: I don't think it's either of those. I'm trying to think what I get up to that's that's no good. Um, Oh, do you know what? I guess (laughs) this is quite topical at the moment. I think I do, um, given that I'm not on a bountiful startup salary, I think the fact that um, I buy a lot of stuff for my flat (laughs) and actually, this it's kind of a guilty pleasure but it's kind of not i've become obsessed with filling um my home with um the work of female artists and creatives that we work with at luna yeah so um i oftentimes find myself um committing to to buying their work which Mm -hmm. i'm so Mm -hmm. happy to do but can't technically afford and um then feeling really overjoyed when i see it in my flat but also deeply guilty that i probably have to eat like beans on toast for the next two weeks <laughs> but i mean you always have to sacrifice for art right
0: i guess so. <laughs> i think that's
1: it that is, that's not even guilty like i think that's something that's worth investing in it is it definitely is i guess but i'm feeling like oh maybe there's a time and a place in your life when yeah, you should invest in yeah. this stuff and i reckon maybe in a uh-huh. year i could justify it but right now it's still a bit hand <laughs> to okay, mouth <laughs> okay okay fair
0: um and the second question is what is one individual business that you think has been up to some good recently?
1: I think um, there's an amazing company actually in in Shanghai called Boomi, mm-hmm. and it's run by two guys, um, Emmanuel and Miguel, and basically they make they make eco products. Um, they make bamboo toothbrushes, um, soap bars. They have, a, they have a really good range. But what I love so much about them and what they've done really well is they've really established, like, an ecosystem and a community. Mm-hmm. And actually, the impact in terms of changing attitudes towards a zero-waste lifestyle in mainland China, I've been really impressed with, with what they've been doing. Right, right. And I think they're a really good example um, of, of guys and... and you know obviously profit is important for any business and i know they're doing really well in that sense but they have been so stringent about the Mm -hmm. fact that that honing that community rather than just putting all their focus in selling products is Ah. so important to them and that and and for somebody that maybe hasn't run a social impact business before like i think in those like dark moments or you're looking at your cash flow and you know you you can sometimes feel like oh should my should my priorities fall a bit more on the side of of pushing the products or whatever it might be um and, and having that long-term vision, that investing in the community, like we have done yeah. at Luna, like Boomi are doing, that in the long-term will mm. help both your ethical goals, but also I think mm-hmm. your business mm-hmm. side as well. It's important that you're not short-sighted yeah. about that.
0: Yeah, it's important that your business model is sustainable too, yeah. that yeah. like you have people adopting your products. Yeah. Right, okay. Okay, so I think we'll, we'll wrap up here. Cool. Thank, th- th- thank you so much for joining me. I thank honestly learned so much. And um, for, for listeners who are really interested to try Luna Naturals products but are not sure where to find you, can you tell us more about where we can find Luna's products?
1: Yes. Um, so we are, if you're in Hong Kong, if you're in Singapore or mainland China, we are in some offline stores. Um, head into like most, I guess, zero waste stores and you'll probably be able to find us. Online, you can go to www.luna with two U's hyphen where you can buy our menstrual cup um you can subscribe to our organic cotton subscription service and you can find lots of um, juicy blog content about periods but also just about female empowerment across the region
0: okay thank you so much olivia i'm thank really looking you. forward to what else luna has in store this thanks year thanks for having me thank you normally record my conclusion after sure. so okay. i'll do it at home cool. but one thing is that i didn't know how to pronounce your na- last name it's Co- coats james Coates James, yeah right? that's why that's why i started a little at the beginning <laughs> and i was like i'm just gonna record it again by myself at home because i just sure. I, so that's part of your last name or is that your middle name no that's my last name okay okay so i need to do that again sure
1: coats james just yeah. like a coat
0: Coates, James. Okay. okay. Yeah. Just now, I was like, Olivia, I, and I skipped it because I didn't <laughs> want to say it
1: wrong. Oh, my God. See, so. I take it for granted that um, it's a really easy name to pronounce, yeah, but yeah. every media person Coates, asks me, like, how the hell do I say this? Well, so I mean... You're not alone. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite... It's long, yeah. and it's... Yeah. And it's because there's a hyphen. Yeah. I don't
0: know if that's, like, <laughs> a middle name or that's a... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, okay. If I okay. My middle names and
1: we'd be here for an hour yeah. saying it.
0: Uh, okay. No, that that was really good. Thank yeah? you so much. Okay. Thank you. I learned
1: so much as well. Good. Yeah. This um, is the kind of content we have in our. This is amazing because this is like an idea of how we can scale our, yeah, yeah, our mission yeah, yeah. and stuff.
0: And yeah, no. And I hope my questions were were okay and clear.
1: Perfect. Did I waffle too much? No. No.
0: No. A lot. I mean, but it's good though because yeah. the past two podcasts, um, I feel like. I was just so anal about keeping up with the time, like mm-hmm. not making making it not too long. That sure. I sort of just kept asking questions yeah. without leading letting the conversation yeah. flow a little and making it more conversational. Yeah. So this time I tried to not do that. I feel like it was very flowy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. So cool. it was good. Thank Woo-hoo! you. Woohoo! Okay, let me just save it and then we can. Well, we can either grab coffee. We still have like half an hour before sure. you have to go. I think. Yeah. Um, we can grab coffee here or we can go to a cafe close by. Okay, let's, what, what
1: let's do it. Can I get my brother to take a photo of us?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, And actually, normally James, um, oh. takes a Polaroid too, because you know how there are a lot of Polaroids Oh, cute, there. yeah. So we can do that as nice. well. Um, yeah, but let's, let's get a photo. Wow, that was really, that was an hour. Was it? Oh, but I really enjoyed it. See, like,
1: oh my God, how was that an hour? I don't
0: know. We started, we started, um, twelve. Twenty-two or something. That's
1: amazing. Time flies when you're talking about pairs.
0: I guess you so many times
1: already though. Yeah, and do you know what, I really want to sit down and just go through them all. Cause I don't know, I feel like the waffle is, is quite, I, I could be more succinct I think sometimes, mm-hmm. but there's just a lot to say. I like uh, my brand story, like, do I need to talk about Heathrow Airport? Probably not. No,
0: but I think that's
1: a, like, it paints a good picture in my yeah. head. I, I I like it. a waffle <laughs> Yeah, so, um,